and uh, I'm looking forward to the great things that the Lord will do, uh, but particularly through His Word. And so let's look there uh, this evening, <clears throat> and uh, we're just going to cover really about the first half of the chapter. So if you would, read along with me in Philemon, verse number 1. It says, Paul, so there's our author, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy our brother, unto, if you want to underline his name, unto Philemon. That's who it's written from Paul to Philemon. Now there was not a conflict or an argument between Paul and Philemon. It was between Philemon and another Christian man, and we'll see him in a moment. Uh, but Paul is writing on behalf of him. Verse number 2. And to our beloved uh, Aphia and Archippus, it is believed that that is the wife and the son of Philemon. It says, our fellow soldier. And to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward uh, the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual or effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, uh, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin or to command thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. If you want to circle or underline his name, that is who he is writing on behalf of. That is where the conflict is between Philemon and this one we're introduced to in verse number 10, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels, or that's their word, therefore heart, or the seed of emotion. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your grace. Teach us from this book. When we read it, we may wonder, why is this here in the Bible? It seems as though it is a a private letter, a personal letter between Paul and another Christian brother with a lot of historical things and not much uh, necessarily there to contribute to the scope of the whole canon of Scripture, but you have put it there for a reason. And so help us to trust that and to claim it as ours, just as we would any other passage of Scripture, to know it, to learn it, and to apply it to our lives. And we'll thank you for the grace that you give us to do that in your precious name. Amen. You have some information there in your bulletin that just sort of introduces the, the chapter. By the time you learn anything about Philemon and Onesimus, the book's already over. And so uh, here's a little bit of background to this. And uh, we're going to cover just this first half this week and the other half in the week to come. But it says the book was written by Paul to a man named Philemon and it says his whole household, his wife and his son are probably the ones addressed there. It says he writes the letter on behalf of his, uh, this one Onesimus, a servant of Philemon. Look in verse 16 and you'll see where we get that from. It says, verse 16, Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now he's not just speaking there as someone that ministers, he's speaking literally of 
a servant. This man was employed by Philemon at some point as uh, whatever his capacity was, whatever his duties were, he was employed by Philemon, most likely lived in his house and among his household. And Onesimus at some point ran away, and he wronged Philemon, it seems, in some way or another. Look at verses 18 and 19, and uh, we'll see that. It says, If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, that's where we kind of think he must have taken something that didn't belong to him, taken more than belonged to him, and then run away. We don't know that Philemon mistreated Onesimus. doesn't say anything about that. But there was a broken relationship here. Look at what Paul says at the end. He says, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. And Paul had this clever way sometimes of uh, describing and explaining things. He says, if he owes you something, I'll pay for it. And I won't even mention the fact that you owe me greatly for something, whether it was physical or whether he simply means I gave you the gospel and as your uh, brother in Christ and brought the gospel to you, you owe me in some wise or in some way, but I'll even repay and not even from that thing. I won't even call it even. And so we kind of have a little, that's all the background that we're really given of what happens in this story. Now, Think about the relationship for a moment before we look at these individual verses. Imagine the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Most likely, they were close in this day, especially with Philemon being, in a moment, we're going to see the type of Christian and loving man that he was. Knowing that about him and that he was still a master and a owner of the household and employed uh, Onesimus in some way, knowing still that he's a loving, godly, seemingly gentle man, you would be able to assume probably rightfully that Onesimus Philemon had a close relationship. They were there every day. They saw each other day in and day out. Uh, it seems as though Philemon was a kind man, so I would guess he was also kind to those that he employed, uh, maybe even to the point of being overly gracious to them. Uh, they had conversations, they spoke in long periods of time, and, and this is not the kind of thing where somebody comes to work, clocks in, never speaks to their boss, they clock out and they go home. He lived with Philemon. He lived amongst uh, Philemon. And so you can imagine the relationship being very close. And then one day something happened and Philemon wakes up and Onesimus is gone. And as they're wondering where he is, they start to realize maybe there are things missing. Uh, maybe he has uh, scattered rumors about Philemon and left the other servants sort of in disarray and in anger. He has caused conflict. He has done something to break up the household of Philemon and he runs away. And now imagine sometime later, Philemon gets this letter, <coughs> and he gets a letter. He's put it, hopefully just kind of ignored it, put it all behind him. He may be angry, but he's living his life going on. And in this day and age, it wasn't like he would go on, Philemon would go on social media and see Onesimus having a great time in some other city, you know. Once he's gone, he probably knows nothing about what Onesimus is doing. They're just living separate lives, but their Christian relationship was broken, and so, after all this time, Philemon looks down, he gets a letter, and it's from Paul. And maybe he's even excited that it's from Paul. Oh, Paul is my brother. This is exciting. At some point, Paul had even been there in the same place and helped establish this church. And so, he's thrilled. And as he's reading this, he realizes who this letter is about. 
Um, now, I think he knew beforehand who it was about. I think there's a really good chance that Onesimus is the one that delivered this letter because you notice in verse 12 it says, Whom I have sent again, or whom I have sent back, thou therefore receive him. So imagine it, even in that context, a knock on the door, and it is Onesimus. And before Philemon can really even get into it with him, Onesimus hands him a letter, and it is from the Apostle Paul. And so obviously that's going to take priority, so he opens it. And here are some of the things that he finds in that letter. How are we going to look at this tonight? and what, what, How can we apply it to ourselves? We're going to look at this. We, we are reconciled to each other in Christ. Whether it is someone that we have a conflict with, or two people that we are uh, close to that are Christians, it could be within our own household, a parent to a child. Uh, it could be someone within our family. It could be a neighbor. But some, we all know people that have conflict, and the Bible gives us some responsibility in how we deal with that conflict as well. And that is the example that Paul is going to set tonight. So a little different kind of topic tonight, a little different kind of message, but we're going to seek to apply it as we go through. So look at verse number one, if you would. Paul, uh, this is sort of a side note before we really get into the crux of the message, we're going to see this little side note as an introduction. I love how Paul starts this, and he does this over and over and over in the Scripture. He doesn't, doesn't ever say, I'm a Paul, a prisoner of Rome, Paul, a prisoner of the Jews. He knows this, he always says, and he literally is in prison at this time, Onesimus is ministering and helping him. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul was physically in prison while writing this letter, but he refused to allow his circumstance to define who he was. And we would do well to take that example as Christians. You know, sometimes we're, we're always Christians. We are always disciples of Christ. We are always followers of Jesus. We are always believers in God. But when a circumstance rises up sometimes in our lives and it overwhelms us, it sort of becomes us. And we're no longer Christian first, but we're a sufferer of some sort, or we're in some sort of dramatic situation, or a broken relationship. But Paul chooses not to say, I'm not, I'm not a prisoner to Rome. I'm not a prisoner uh, to the Jews. They can put me in a room and lock me up, but I am bound first to Christ and to serving Him. And so even his attitude, as he writes to Philemon, I, I can't help but think that Paul puts that a little bit like, Philemon, think about the scope of your life. You are free. You own a house. You employ people. Your life is just fine. You're serving Christ where you are. And I'm writing this to you from prison. And in a way, he's almost, I, I, can't imagine, I can't help but imagine that Paul, in a way, is trying to put this in perspective for Philemon and say, your conflict with Onesimus is not the end of the world. If he owes you something, we can repay that. But I'm sitting here in prison not knowing if my life is going to continue or not. That should put in perspective, you should get restored. You should be reconciled to your brother because life is short. We as a church have experienced hardship these last few months, and we have firsthand experienced what it means to lose loved ones or to experience death. And it puts in perspective the brevity of life and the importance of being bound first to Christ and not to our circumstance. Notice what Paul addresses next. He addresses Philemon's background. He says, basically, to sum it up, that Philemon is a godly servant, a servant of God. And what we're going to draw from that is that conflict does not just come to people that are outside of the will of God. 
Um, just because you are a godly servant of, God, uh, of Christ, just because you are committed to God's Word, just because you pray or serve in your local church does not mean that you're going to be free from having conflict with a fellow brother in Christ. It doesn't work that way. Notice some of the things that he mentions about him in verse 1 and 2. He says, And to our beloved Aphian, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Verse 1, Dearly beloved and fellow laborer. He says, You're a beloved brother. You're a fellow laborer. And he even goes as far as to address, he says, And there's a church meeting in your house. So think about Philemon. He says, You're a loving brother. We're going to find out more about him in a second. You're a loving brother in Christ. You serve and labor with us. You're hosting a church in your own home. You're willing to take that risk. You are uh, benevolent in how you give. You are kind in how you treat people. You're going to see in a moment that he's loving and that he is full of faith, but he has a conflict with a fellow Christian. We're going to see that in a moment. And we do, would do well to understand because sometimes we feel as though we are so spiritual that any conflict that we have must be the fault of the other person. Have you ever felt that way? That I'm having conflict with this person or that person, and I know I'm more spiritual than that person. It must be, it's not conflict between me and them, it's their fault. They're just angry at me. And that's the way that we feel sometimes. But notice that Philemon is a godly servant, a laborer of Christ, hosting a church, but conflict still finds him. And we would do well to know and prepare that conflict will find us. Have you ever had conflict come out of the blue? Like when you think that you're doing everything right or kind? Or, or, or let's reverse it the other way. Has somebody, and, and after you uh, really think about it, you blew up on somebody, and really they had no idea that it was coming. They thought everything was fine. They thought everything was going smoothly, and all of a sudden conflict comes. How are we going to handle that? We cannot just wait for it to happen and then react. We have to prepare with the Word of God so that we respond rightly, and it doesn't drag on and on and on. And Philemon evidently had had this conflict, and it had lasted for a while. Notice next the way that Paul greets Philemon. And we would do well to learn from this. We would do well to learn conflict is going to come whether you follow God or not. And we would do well, number two, to realize that how we deal with that conflict can change not just our lives, but the lives of many others. And remember, I think there's a reason at the end of verse two, he says, and to the church that is in thy house. I think there's a reason that he tags that on the end of there. Because Philemon's relationship with Onesimus it did not just affect the two of them. When Onesimus got sent back, if Philemon doesn't accept him and be reconciled to Onesimus, there's a really good chance none of the other Christians meeting in his house, none of the other Christians in his church are going to accept Onesimus either. And so how we deal with conflict affects not just us and not just the person that is involved in the conflict, it affects all those that are around us. You've, you're a parent or you're a grandparent. You've had conflict with your spouse and it, it can affect your children. You can have conflict with your children and it affects your spouse. You can have conflict with a co-worker at work and not realize that it affects everyone around you. And they, Paul realizes that. And so here's how he starts his greeting. It is grace-filled and it is compassionate. He does not just simply give a command or a stark warning and say, you bonehead, fix this and get on with it. But notice how he addresses it. He handles it with kindness. Have you ever realized that kindness often makes a greater impact on people 
than power and authority. And sometimes there is a place that power or authority needs to be asserted, and sometimes there is a, a bold command or authoritative command that must be made. But notice how he begins this address, how he starts and tries to handle it. You remember your teachers, if you dig way back into your school, into teachers, you remember some teachers that are smart and good and taught you lots of things. I'm sure you remember that. But I am sure that for most of us, the teachers we remember the most, it probably had something to do with how kind they were and how they handled you on a daily basis. And you may have learned from them too. But it's not all at that point about how academic we are at points. What really stands out in our minds is how kind someone was. And so Paul deals with this in a kind and grace-filled way. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Now that is a good place to start with this greeting. When he starts dealing with this conflict, he starts his greeting by saying, Hey, I've been, I've been praying for you. And not in this pious, pharisaical way like, I've been praying about this situation and God has given me clear instruction that you are wrong and I am right. And we're going to get this fixed. But he just simply says, I have been praying for you. And we would do well that for, before we confront someone in a conflict, that we would consistently pray for them on a continual basis. And God may change or work in our heart about how to deal with that. He emphasizes Philemon's strengths, and he calls on those strengths to overcome the conflict that he has. Notice what he says in verse number 5. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. I love how he attaches both. You're a man of great faith and a man of great love. And in a moment, he's going to call on Philemon to trust God in faith to forgive Onesimus and in love to embrace him and bring him back into a restored relationship. So notice what he did there. He says, I know you have faith and through Christ you have love. Christ has given you all that you need. He, he, he embellishes and talks about the strengths that Philemon has spiritually and he calls on those strengths to help resolve this conflict through Christ. And notice what he says at the end of verse number 5. Paul is very, of course, he's extremely smart. Uh, he was extremely educated, very trained. But you kind of imagine how he's doing this. He calls on Philemon's love and his faith. And then notice he says, And I know that you have faith and love towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Now that word saints just simply means Christians. It doesn't mean special Christians or uh, really great Christians. He says, I know you love Jesus. And I know that in your heart you love all Christians and believers. So you kind of see how he's building on Philemon a little bit and how he's going to address this conflict. He says, I know you're full of love, you're full of faith, and, you're to, and that is toward all believers. And in a second, he's going to say, including this one that you have conflict with. And so he's sort of addressing this as he goes. He doesn't start by being abrasive. He starts by communicating. Look at verse 6. Remember, he's still telling him that he prays for him. What did he pray for Philemon? Verse number 6. Did he pray, I'm praying that your mind gets straight. I'm praying that God settles your heart. I'm praying that you get yourself fixed. No, notice, I am praying, verse number six, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So let's simplify that a little bit. He says, I'm praying that the way that you speak and communicate, the way that you share your faith is effective. He is simply praying 
that Philemon would be spiritually successful. He's not praying just about the conflict. He is praying that Philemon would have a great impact for Christ in this world. And what an example for us. Sometimes all we can see is the person that we have the conflict with. And we can't see that God, if they're a Christian, God has called them to minister the same way He's called us. And Paul realizes this world is too small and this life is too short for me to hope that Philemon fails and, doesn't, and isn't successful in his spiritual walk and in the way he ministers for Christ. He says, we need everyone. We need everyone that can have a testimony, everyone that can give the gospel. We need the gospel declared. And because of that, I'm praying, Paul says, that God gives you great success in how you witness. And so, and, and how is that witness? Look at the end of verse 6. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ. He said, I pray that other people see in you what I do and that your life is a living testimony for Christ. Now, how many times have we started conflict resolution with someone, another Christian or a brother, spouse, or a, a, a child, one of our own children? How many times have we started conflict resolution by saying, you know, I've been praying for you and I've been praying that God would give you great influence for the gospel and help you win people Win the lost for Christ. I don't remember the last time that I started conflict resolution with that tone and in that way, but it changes how you deal with conflict when that is your prayer. Because no, you're no longer concerned about, I want to be proven right, or I want you to be proven wrong. You're more concerned with, I want us both to win lots of people for the gospel. And so that's, that's how he begins. Look at verse 7. It says, for we have great, and I, this is my favorite verse of the chapter, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love. He says, I enjoy and take comfort. And there are people that when you watch their lives, you just take comfort in because of how they lived them. And then I, this is my favorite phrase, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. Now, public service announcement number three for this Friday, not to be included on your Valentine card would be this phrase, number one in the list. Though it is clever and it would make a great yogurt commercial uh, slogan, but what it simply means, the bowels in their day were like the root of emotion. Uh, think, the way I phrase it here on your bulletin, think butterflies in your stomach. You're in love, and you're being moved, moved to fall in love, and all of a sudden you just have this like giddiness, and, and where do you feel that? A lot of times, like in your stomach, and you get nervous. You have a pit where? In your stomach. If, if you have sorrow, there's often a pain in your stomach. It's the root of emotion. So what he's saying is you refresh people's hearts they feel so much better from being around you. And he's saying, Philemon, if that's the kind of person that you are, we can fix this conf conflict that you have through Christ. Look at the next thing, Paul's plea. It's clear, but it's reconciling. And Paul doesn't say, he doesn't accuse Philemon and say, well, you mistreated Onesimus. Paul really doesn't seem to care about why the conflict happened. He doesn't really seem to care who is right and who is wrong. What he cares deeply about is that these two men continue to love each other in Christ. And we would do well to learn from that lesson. Because if you ever tried to help somebody, and, and we got to apply this three ways. Conflict that we may have with someone else. 
but also conflict that we may be able to help, that God's given us the opportunity to help restore between two people. Yet we often get stuck picking sides. Well, this person does have a really good point. So I'm going to err with him and try to bring this person to this side. That's not the way the Bible teaches, and that's not the way that Paul works here. Notice in verse number 8, he says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee or command you that which is convenient, that means fitting or required or instructed, he says, I could say, and he goes on in the end of verse number 9, he says, that I am Paul, I'm aged, I'm older, I'm uh, wiser. He says, and now a prisoner of Christ. He's kind of pulling on the fact, I'm an apostle, I'm serving Christ. I, I have apostolic authority, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher. I help found the church that there is there in your area through Christ. I could just say, fix this and get on with it. But rather than do it by command, what does he say he wants to try to do? Verse number nine, yet for what? Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. He says, I could just say, you are hurting the cause of Christ in your area. And if Onesimus returns and you are at odds, it will only hurt the testimony of Christ in your area. Fix it and move on. And if you can't, I'll come and we'll somehow have to straighten this out. Paul doesn't address it that way first. He says, by the love that you have toward all these other people, you know, you love all saints. Anytime people are around you, they feel better about their life in Christ. You have great love and you have great faith. And through that is all through Christ. And through Christ, let's get this fixed. He doesn't just command. He doesn't just give a barrage. He doesn't try to give. Notice the last uh, sentence there on your notes under verse number 9. It says, How often we simply try to figure out who is right and pick sides. But we must understand that restoration is often more effective for the gospel than awarding a winner and a loser title. Paul's not interested in those things. And then look at verse 10. I beseech thee what? Paul has no hold in this. It's not like... Now think of which, which one would Paul seem that he would profit from siding with? The man who owns the large house that hosts the church and employs the servants or the servant? Gainfully, it seems like Paul would want to side with the other one. And he's not picking sides here, he's speaking for. Look at what it says in verse number 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. There are times where God gives us the opportunity, and we should embrace it, where we can speak on behalf of someone, where we can go for someone. When I am at odds with one of my kids, and we are frustrated, and there are times where the voice of reasoning may be joy, mom comes in and says, let's soothe this through this way. Or vice versa. Hopefully it's not between joy and I, one of the kids does that. <laughs> but it may happen at times. But it could be a Christian brother or sister within this church that's offended for some reason. And we don't, I may not even know. And we say, hey, let's, let's get this taken care of. It may be somebody within this church, without, from without this church, he says, I'm coming on behalf, and notice the last or point underneath verse 10, we should seek to use the influence that God gives um, on those around us for good. He doesn't gossip. He's not interested in sides. He is not interested in details. He wants the good of the gospel to be promoted. And when that is our motivation in conflict resolution, we'll have a much better outcome. Look at verse 11, finally. 
says, which in time past is to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Paul's actually making a play on words here. The word Onesimus, the name Onesimus, literally means profitable or useful. And Paul literally says here at the start of the verse, he says, I know in times past he was useless. <laughs> How would you, that's, can you imagine if as Onesimus hears this read out loud? Paul says, I know he was useless to you in the past. Well, thanks, Paul. But now, he says at one point he did not live up to his name, and now he is. He says his mother named him useful, hoping that he would live up to it, and, and, and now he is. And he says this will help reconcile. He is profitable to thee. And notice, but he also attaches himself to this. He puts his own stake in this claim. He is willing to put himself out there for the purpose of soothing and healing a relationship. He says, he has helped me. We're going to see later next week. He has ministered to me in chains when I am in this prison. He has helped me. And so what do we learn from this tonight? Look at the conclusion. Often we seek, uh, do not seek to be reconciled or we do not help others reconcile when we fear the drama, the discord, or the disappointment that may come. Yet we see from Scripture that God wants us to seek reconciliation for ourselves and others when He gives us that opportunity. Christ, how about this? Christ came to reconcile sinners. And how sad is it if his followers live in conflict?